Welcome to the Twisted Conservative Podcast, episode number eight. Thanks so much for tuning back in, guys. This is Jason Vaughn, your host, the Twisted Conservative. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Vaughn. That's J A S O N V A U G H N on Twitter. And of course, you can find me on uh, Facebook as well, uh, Jason Vaughn dash Twisted Conservative. And I look forward to communicating with all of you guys there. What an exciting week! Uh, here in Texas and really around the nation as Republicans swept into office all over the place, even in Illinois. Illinois now has a Republican governor. That is absolutely astonishing and, and good for them. So excited for them. But let's focus on Texas. Texas, uh, Greg Abbott won, winning by over 21 points. Uh, Connie Burton coming in and taking over Wendy Davis's, uh, for the former seat she occupied, just moving from that pro-choice, pro-late-term abortion Wendy Davis to pro-life champion Connie Burton. That is, is the biggest shift in my mind in Texas politics. Uh, so exciting, but really across the board. Had the pleasure of being at Ken Paxton's victory party on Tuesday night and, and celebrating with him as we watch the results come in. I believe when it's all over, we're going to end up winning Louisiana as well, and we'll end up with, uh, I believe, 54 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. But all around, especially here in Texas, just a great night. And uh, we have work to do. We're going to talk about that with our panel today. Uh, instead of just having one guest, I have three great friends of mine that are going to be guests on the show. Then we're going to talk about the elections from their perspective and what we did right, what we can do better, and uh, where did where did Battleground Texas go wrong? What happened there? I I have to admit I'm even a little disappointed because I thought they'd put up a good fight. But uh, as one of our panelists says towards the end, it was all smoke and mirrors. A little disappointed even myself, but ultimately I am glad they were defeated and because their liberal ideology does not have a place in Texas. So let's go on into our panel. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to, to rate, subscribe, and re review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. That's twistedconservative.com slash iTunes and twistedconservative.com slash Stitcher to go straight to either one of those uh, areas. Now for our panel. Well, hello, folks. Welcome to this special edition of the Twisted Conservative Podcast with my first conference call panel. I'm very happy to have uh, three great guests on today. They're, we're going to talk about uh, all of the great victories across Texas in this election, uh, what they worked on specifically, what they saw that worked, and what we can do better in the future. And I am, I think this is the first time, I'm the oldest person uh, on my call today. I'm turning 31 this month, and i got a bunch of young people on here. Uh, I've got Andrew Cook, who is uh, with Luke Macias and uh, Macias Consulting, and uh, his t great team down there. He's uh, 19, uh, and he'll be our youngest panelist, and I'm not going to mention the other two's age because I'm not positive and I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Welcome, guys. How are you? Good. Doing well. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, doing really well. Well, it has been a fantastic election cycle uh, for almost all of our causes and uh, and our candidates. I know that 
we, we pretty much swept it except for the fracking ban in Den and Cary Lane. Uh, me and you will definitely get into that conversation. But uh, let's start off just introducing you. Andrew, I want you to introduce yourself uh, very briefly. Hey, my name is Andrew Cook. I am a data analyst with uh, Luke Macias of Macias Strategies. Uh, this election cycle, I spent my time working on Matt Beebe's race against Joe Strauss in the primary and working on several other House races. Uh, but uh, for general, I was working on Connie Burton's campaign uh, for the two months up to Election Day. All right, wonderful. And uh, Carrie, won't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Carrie Lane. I'm the state chairman of the Texas Federation of College Republicans, the chapter chairman at the University of North Texas, and I was an intern for the George P. Bush campaign. Um, so, yeah. All right, and uh, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm the policy director at the Texas Homeschool Coalition. Um, I also work on their lobby team. So, I mean, we had, honestly, we had over 100 different races that we were working on at various different times, but um, we had uh, about six key races during the general election that were really our top priority, I think. Wonderful. And uh, Jeremy is actually going to be a guest in a couple of weeks probably, and so is Carrie Lane. I don't think I've actually asked them either of them, but I'm sure they don't mind. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more with, uh, <laughs> with Jeremy about um, what THSC is working on for next session and specifically with – um, with Carrie about how to engage young voters, and somebody has a lot of beeping going on. Who's beeping? That's not me. That's not me. Hey, it was Carrie, me. I'm sorry. Beeping? I'm no, no longer. Beeping. No. All right, Carrie, you're done beeping. All right. Like I said, we're going to be um, fairly casual with this recording. Because uh, I don't like doing a lot of editing, but we're, uh, that's okay. Let's start with the top of the ballot, Greg Abbott. Uh, now I think most of us. Was anybody actually concerned that Greg Abbott would lose? I don't think so. I think. Well, I, I say I met plenty of people who were concerned about it, but they never really had a very strong reason for being that way. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone who was really in the race really ever had a big question about it. Yeah, I don't think anybody that's actually one of uh, Politico like us that's really following these races was concerned. What we were concerned was how much will he win by. Um, yeah. yeah. Bill White won, uh, lost by 12 points to Rick Perry in 2010, and then he, and so we, kind of the, the what we were saying was, if Greg Abbott can take 15 points then that's considered a, a really huge victory and kind of crushes Battleground, Texas. Well, I think what was interesting... One point. Go ahead. I, I, just want, I just wanted to add is that one of the things that as I was... I actually looked a lot into Abbott's race and, and knowing that a lot of the, the roadmap came from the George W. Bush, uh, you know, his uh, second... I believe, I'm not sure if his second... I think it was his first... Uh, run for governor where he crushed the Democrat in like a 60, I believe it was, a, you know, he got 60% of the vote. Uh, he got uh, about a 21-point win. Uh, and I think what was interesting in the race was I, Abbott was predicting, they were trying to model their election after that, that uh, you know, what, what George W. Bush did back in the 90s. And I predicted only about an 18 to 17-point win, which is what Abbott got. Um, but I think that 
the problems with internally with the campaign is what caused you know what I think I think Abbott could have easily done a sixty. One sixty percent, but with with the way the campaign was run, with a lot of the, even even with Wendy's terrible campaign, I think that brought Abbott down maybe about two points. Um, which I think we ended up. What was the final number? Somebody might know this. The last one I saw it was ninety two percent in. Was that he was at fifty nine percent and she was at thirty eight, so about a twenty one point spread. I believe the final number, which I looked at an hour ago, was fifty eight point nine three percent. Okay, so yeah, very very close uh, to what I saw uh, seen earlier. Um, I actually think one of the things that really helped us with that pickup, and, and I think we can all agree, it, those of us that were working closely uh, with different campaigns do definitely see some challenges within the um, within the Avid campaign, some things they could have fixed, and we'll get into things. That'll kind of be the, one of the last things we talk about, but I want to talk about the uh, just the successes first. And Carrie, uh, yes. I want to talk to you because one of the things I actually think worked extremely well was that George P. Bush, who is Hispanic himself, obviously already has a lot of name recognition because of his last name, but um, he did a lot of great work, um, as much trouble as some of my, uh, our more conservative friends have given him. He did a lot of outreach to Hispanics and to um, and to young people, especially. I yeah. mean, he worked. One, he was probably the closest uh, candidate working with college of Republicans and young Republicans, was he not? He was. He was one of the only ones that was actually reaching out to the college uh, Republicans. Um, as um, yeah, the big thing with the George P. Bush campaign is, you know, towards towards the um, middle of the election. You know, you didn't see George very often north of San Antonio. You didn't. Uh, Sorry, you you broke up there a little bit. Can you start that over? Okay. Yeah. Um, George P. Bush was doing a lot with the college Republicans. Um, he did, and what I worked on was the campus tours, and um, it had to deal with college and both and young professionals. And what we did is we set up um, towards towards the election was this big cycle on the bus tour where George was going to go to all these different campuses and we would do swag drops. He spoke at the University of Texas in Dallas. Um, he had a couple concerts that I helped put together, two, one in Abilene, one in Lubbock, and then one down in College Station where we would get a Texas country artist and to come and bring a bunch, of, you know, he would play, and so we would advertise it. And who wouldn't want to go see Aaron Watson or um, Mike Ryan and meet George P. Bush? And it was just really to push a lot of name recognition out there. And so that's that's what he did. And then the Hispanic outreach was really cool because you know he spent a lot of time when he wasn't on the bus tour, he was down south of San Antonio, really working with um, the Hispanics down there. Yeah, and uh, obviously he's Hispanic, uh, half Hispanic himself. His mother's uh, his mother's Hispanic, and uh, yes. But we've also got the first Hispanic first lady in Texas, uh, Cecilia. Um, am I? I'm sorry, it's Cecilia Abbott. Am I saying her name right? Yes. Okay, Cecilia Abbott, and Greg Abbott being fluent in Spanish himself. We actually won the Hispanic male vote, fifty to forty-nine. Um, and we, I believe what the numbers I saw is we won 44% of the, 
of the um, of the Hispanic vote overall, which is pretty big for uh, Texas uh, for a Texas Republican. That's uh, I think that's even that's coming close to the best George Bush ever did with Hispanics. Uh, so that was a huge win for us. So very thankful for uh, both the work. I, I think we saw Greg at it really was below. It was in the valley quite a bit, and um, so was and, and again so was George P. And really appreciate both of them uh, doing that outreach. And uh, George P. I don't think anybody really thought he had much of a campaign to run. Um, he was never really in any danger of losing. So I think. What he did was he spent his time reaching out to those people that Republicans don't normally reach out to, and that was extremely effective for uh, the entire ticket. Uh, he went in, I know he went into Fort Worth and helped Connie quite a bit, um, which actually, let's go into that race. And uh, Jeremy, you were at Connie's victory party. You got to, to uh, work on that race a little bit. How was, how was the party? How, what, was, what was your thoughts going into it? Uh, well, I mean, I, I was kind of optimistic, I guess. I wouldn't say that I felt like I knew she was going to win, but I'm always an optimistic person. So, I mean, that was probably the most important race, in our opinion, in the entire state, um, you know, from the perspective that that was what the, the important one that we were concerned about losing, basically. I mean, there are other important races that we kind of had in the bag, but that one was a little bit concerning, I think I would say. So, I mean, we probably poured more time and effort into that race than any other race during the general election. Um, and it's really because and I think a lot of people recognize that the, the outcome of that race was kind of going to be representative of the, the future of Texas politics, um, which is, I think, part of the reason Battleground Texas put so much effort and money into it. But, I mean, the end result was that, I mean, based on what, compared to what people thought was going to happen, I think she won with a pretty clean victory. She had, I think, six points um, on Libby Willis, which was just, I mean that was that was knocking the ball out of the park in my opinion, considering how much time and effort that uh, Battleground Texas put into it. And I think uh, the, the party definitely represented that. People were happy. Fantastic. And and um, Andrew, you actually spent your last two months up here working on that campaign, as well as doing a lot of the data work for several yeah. other campaigns. Uh, what kind of what was the big shift there? Um, Fort Worth well, is a moderate district. Um, it's not. Mm -hmm. It actually polls higher in pro-choice than it does in pro-life. But Connie mm -hmm. came out, and she was, you know, she's not a moderate Republican. So I mean, people can't. I don't think people can look at that and say, oh, we need moderates to run, because Connie is as conservative as they get. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think the thing is is interesting is even though Terrence, especially for example, on the life issue, is not exactly as conservative, it still comes in as a you know the second most conservative urban area uh, in the nation, and so we really I think what the, our emphasis on our campaign was is we didn't run as a Republican. Like if you looked at Connie signs, it never said Republican. It was conservative. It was, I really want to promote fiscal responsibility. I'm a mom. You know, it was a lot of things that I think what you have to look at when Mark Shelton ran against Wendy Davis, you know, the opposite of just attacking women and really giving Wendy that platform to say the GOP has their war on women, blah, 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 blah. And, and which is why Wendy was able to swing that district, you know, to now where voters, you know, saw for consistently. 
you know, for almost a year. Connie Burton is a conservative. She wants to promote fiscal responsibility. She has traditional family values, and, and you may not agree with those, some of them, but you couldn't really hate Connie Burton. And I think the problem was is that when you looked at how Libby Willis ran her campaign was she tried to make Connie look like the incumbent. Um, and she was trying really hard to say she's radical. But the problem was is that Connie never really attacked Libby until the very, very last second. Um, and I think that, you know, having worked on that campaign, you know, prior to the two months, I just was knocking on doors. And, you know, as I talked to people, nobody had really heard of Libby Wilkes. You know, Connie had just so much more name ID. People were talking to her. Um, she was, you know, she had had her name out there, but I think that's what really pushed her through at the end was the fact that she didn't run as a Republican. And I think what was really was awesome, she, uh, you know, was at the victory party was, you know, she, she pulled up Libby Willis's Facebook page and she's got the Battleground Texas, you know, come and take it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's like, you know, Connie just gets up there and says, yep, we came and we took it. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a blast <laughs> because it was, it was it was a big event. I mean, and like I said, this was the big district. I mean, Jeremy Bird from Battleground, Texas, you know, said, "Hey, we're going to shift from our statewide races to focus on some key legislative victories." Hint, hint. SD10, and you know, at the last second, they dump. They just dump so much money into that race. But um, like I said, I think it was too late, and we showed them. Yeah, no, Texas is conservative, and uh, you know, and, and con what contributed to Connie's victory is you know, being able to maneuver around not being a Republican but being a conservative. I think that's what really pushed Connie over and gave her the, you know, the lead that she had. Yeah, now, Andrew, you're originally from San Antonio. You actually went back to San Antonio uh, area to vote. Um, yeah. What was, now, did you actually, who is your congressional representative there? Currently Lamar Smith. Um, Currently I Lamar actually, Smith. yes. I actually you worked, now you worked up, on the other campaign against against him, but I did I, okay, work for so, Matt. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go just a little bit further south than you are is uh, CD twenty three, and that's uh, Pete Gallego's district. Oh, now yeah. I did I was, not know there was any um, was any opportunity to win a congressional district in Texas, but then comes in Will Hurd, who's actually a black Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, facing off this his, against this Hispanic guy and a Hispanic and a huge, uh, it, it it's the valley. It is uh, it goes from uh, the edge of San Antonio to the edge of El Paso, and uh, amazingly, um, we won that race. I mean, did anybody follow that race at all until the last few days? We had, we had actually, I, Luke had been involved with the race. We had consulted for Dr. Robert Lowry, who was a guy running in the primary for that race. And, and in, in reality, most people actually thought oh, Francisco Canseco, an ex-congressman, was going to be the best person to run against Gallego. But when Heard won, um, we actually were what, what I think really pushed Heard over because everybody was like, how can a black conservative defeat the Democrat Latino in a primarily Hispanic district, which has, I believe, the largest portion of the border of any congressional district. Um, and, and, it, and it was that very issue. 
because the reality was a lot of the folks, even some of the Latinos, I believe, down there, wanted to find, they wanted, they wanted border security because, as, you know, when I've had so many friends that have been living out on the border, it doesn't matter whether they're white or Hispanic, the violence down there is just terrible. And the reality 62% is that... Of Hispanics, uh, 62% of Hispanics supported sending the National Guard to, mm-hmm. um, to the border. Uh, that's, that's, it's, it's actually a huge issue, and even I don't care where you were polling at in Texas, that was it wasn't the economy because the economy in Texas is, is pretty great. wasn't taxes, it wasn't abortion, it was border security. And across the board, that was the winning issue for most people. And I think that was a, a huge difference for that. Um, but, but we'll be sending Will Hurd to Congress. Uh, very excited about that. Those are the three races that I was really shocked at, uh, that, that we were all, I'm not shocked, but that we were really watching uh, closely. I was at Ken Paxton's victory party myself, um, and I just had a fantastic time there. Let's go to uh, Jeremy. What were some of the, you said you guys were working on about 100 different races throughout. What were your, um, was there anything you were really working on that didn't come out your way that you were kind of expecting to? Actually, I'll, I'll have to be honest, things went almost as well for us as they could have gone. I mean, we had 100 races in the general election that we were working on, and we won 97 of them. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, those are pretty good numbers in our opinion. We had um, one local district judge in Travis County that we lost, um, and two legislative races that we lost that um, were honestly going to be hard to pick up in the first place because they're in primarily Democratic districts. Um, that was okay. David Hamilton's race in um, HD 27 and Albert McDaniel's race um, in HD 95. So and those, of the 100 races we worked in, those were really the only three that um, we ended up losing on. Um, but we had, I mean, the, the, the ones I was really concerned about were there were six main races we were working on. That I mentioned Connie Burton. Um, we're also focused on Wayne Faircloth, Rodney Anderson, um, Cindy Burkett, Matt Rinaldi, and Kenneth Sheets. And some of those were in, you know, a little bit closer than the others. Um, but those were, good. of all the races we worked in, those were the ones that were going to look the closest. And we ended up coming out, you know, with good margins in all of those races. So, I mean, the, the end result was, I mean, you guys were talking about how, you know, we have more of the Latino vote and, you know, the black vote in, in all these different areas. And I really think that it's just because Texas is, I mean, we've been trending conservative for years, and we're obviously trending more and more and more conservative, and that really showed this election in particular. Um, and some, I can't remember who um, said this, someone said that um, we had the, we, nationwide, we won the largest majority of Republican seats since 1928. Um, so that's a, I mean, that, that's a pretty big win for Republicans nationwide, and I think that's, I mean, a 97% success rate makes me happy. I think that's what it represents. So let's go, let's go nationally. Um, so we should have, from my estimation, 54 Senate seats. I, I don't think we're going to have any trouble um, picking up uh, the, the seat in Louisiana, and I ultimately think, um, I believe we won Begich, and, and there could even be 65 if we end up picking up Ed Gillespie's seat in a recount in Virginia which I, I do have to say, I think, uh, he was actually, Ed Gillespie was polling over 10 points down, wasn't running the best campaign, and so a lot of groups pulled out. Now, 
that was the best decision to make with the data available. So, but I think that would would have definitely been a pickup if we'd stayed. But you 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 use the the money and the data and resources you have uh, available at the time. So I don't think anybody saw how big the wave of uh, Republican conservative voters would be. Every single one of them campaigned on overturning Obamacare. Every single one, even Mitch McConnell. Uh, what do you guys think? How did how did that wave? play into Texas. Was was that really part of how big the winds were in Texas? Or was that just is that just naturally a part of Texas culture? I, I think it was actually both of those things. I mean I think Texas I mean Texas was still trending conservative while the rest of the nation was trending democratic several years ago. Um, so it's I think we are separate in that regard. Um, in fact, I think a lot of people actually look to Texas um, from outside, you know, especially in other conservative states. A lot of people take their lead from Texas to a degree. I mean, everyone, they're all independent as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that the trend, I, th I think that we have both of those things at play. I think that Texas would have trended conservative either way. Um, but the nation definitely trended conservative. I mean, if you look at the map, it, you know, something that has a, it represented by colors on the map, the, the difference is completely stark um, versus, you know, 2004, 2005 to now, the, the color difference in the, the way that things split up. So I, I think mm. it's both of the things at play. Yeah, and I, and, uh, and I really think a lot of people should consider, what we should look at is um, – the 2000 in, two, in presidential years, whoever the whoever the presidential nominees are is the real poll. So President Obama obviously not on the ballot, even as he though as he says his his policies were. Um, so let's look at 2010 though. Well, we still had a, had a huge Republican surge and and, and changeover, um, but the, even compared to those numbers. Democrats were down drastically. As I said, Bill White had 2.1 million voter, votes. Wendy Davis, with Battleground Texas coming in, had 1.8 million votes. And she was a superstar. Like, she is a national star with a lot more money and Battleground Texas behind her. What went wrong in the Wendy Davis campaign besides that it started on abortion? What what do you guys think were some of just the, the pivotal campaign errors that were made? Not ideological, but campaign errors. Terry, well, let's go to you. Okay, I'll, one thing I thought that was wrong, and not necessarily like ideological with her campaign, was I don't know. I I didn't like the way that it was some of the ground game with like the youth um i saw it and it was just kind of negative if that kind of makes sense yeah so you're on the ground you're at unt unt was a huge part of battleground they claim they registered 5,000 voters at unt um now and we did see that that denton still remained red um I think even the close the closest race there was the um had over sixty one percent um Myra Crownover who's actually in who covers UNT. And, and yeah. obviously those not all those students voted in Denton, but um 
comparatively. So what I mean she did her college tour. That failed. Yeah. Um she did her college tour, but I really don't think that the democratic philosophies are resonating with these. I mean they do, obviously. I mean they do to an extent. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't see the Democrats push. Democrats push so hard on college campuses. Yep, but, but they're losing I, that vote every every cycle. They're losing more and more of that youth vote. What's going on with that? Yeah. Um, I, I think there has to deal with a lot of the policies that are in place right now. I mean, I know a lot of college students that don't have health insurance, and they can't afford Obamacare. They're, they tell me they're like, because they found out I'm in politics, and they're like, I can't afford the $6,000 deductible. Might as well not even go to the doctor. And I'm like, you're right. I think that they're, they're really tired of the failed policies. They're being let down. They, they hear and they get promised so much, you know, the student loans that we're going through and all this stuff, but yet nothing comes of it. Hmm. So, uh, Andrew, you're you were over in – uh, on Connie's campaign and, and really looking at a lot of campaigns. I, I have no problem saying Luke is my favorite um, favorite consultant because I think we, we align pretty much ideologically. Kevin Brandon is a very, very close second, fantastic guy who ran Ken Paxton's campaign. I almost, uh, because uh, people ask me, like, how do you determine who to vote for? Honestly, one of the first things I check on is who's their consultant. Is it Luke Macias or Kevin Brandon? Probably easy to go with. Um, Jordan Berry, great guy as well. Uh, but So you're working on a lot of different campaigns. I don't think you guys lost a single election. Uh, picked up Bob Hall, picked up Connie. Uh, you had Tony Tenderholt. Um, all these pretty big races. What were you seeing, though, in, in Connie's race in Tarrant where you were um, – where with 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 battleground Texas because obviously that became one of their big focuses. What were they doing on the ground? Because it did I didn't actually see their ground game do anything for for Libby. Well, what what happened there? Well, well here's what happened. I, I think that the biggest thing is what we have to realize is that now looking back, battleground Texas was the biggest smoke and mirror operation the state has ever seen from the Democrat Party. Because at the end of the day, you would see these, incre- these huge sign-up lists. I, I was one of the folks going and signing up for their stuff and trying to follow their information and their pictures and everything. And I even was trying to go to some of the, the Tarrant County Democrat Party meetings. Um, and, you know, looking, trying to get that perspective, I realized that nobody's showing up to these block walks. There's a few volunteer coordinators, and, and, and nobody's coming out. The only Democrat in Tarrant County that I saw any serious volunteers for was Cole Ballwag running against Tony Tinderholt, and he only had teacher unions behind him. So I think what you've got to realize is they act, the, the amount of people active in the, the Democrat Party in Tarrant County is actually incredibly low. And what we saw at the end of Libby Phyllis's campaign was really not her volunteers because she had almost no volunteers. In my, you know, we never saw them. I think she had a group of paid walkers that she found probably off Craigslist, something like that, going out and knocking doors. It wasn't until later in the game when Battleground Texas moved all their key staffers and they just started dropping. Uh, they sent out what they – there was a back-to-basics education pack, which was some, some Democrat – it's out of the, an out-of-state pack, basically telling the black 
voters from 2008 and 2012 to try and come out and vote, and they started hitting the doors, you know, during early voting. Um, and so I think that what really killed Libby at the end is she didn't invest in a good ground game as opposed to Connie who had paid staff, you know, really filtered through who was walking for her and making sure that, you know, we were actually trying to have uh, meaningful conversations at the door. And I think that, you know, when you, there were the, the block walks for Battleground Texas, you know, would everybody would show up, and, and this is true of all volunteers, you know, they would, you know, walk 10 doors and leave. Um, and so really I think what it came down to is, you know, Battleground Texas came in way too late, um, and they really didn't, you know, talk to the voters. And I think that's what really pushed Connie over, you know, in the end is that even though, you know, Libby would send an email out saying, we've got all our walkers and stuff, nobody ever saw them, you know. We would see sometimes their push cards, but, you know, it was, it seemed like they were just lit dropping. Um, and there wasn't a lot of effort to try and reach out and have as many conversations with voters there. But yeah, you know, looking at the, the scene with Luke Macias and Macias Strategies, you know, him being uh, right now labeled as the most valuable consultant in Texas from the primary, I mean, we didn't lose anybody in general. I mean, uh, you know, we carried everybody, uh, and you know, you know, Luke's all pumped up, and he's got everybody going for, uh, for sessions. So I mean, it's going to be exciting. You know, with a supermajority, you know, at the, uh, in the, I believe in the U.S., you know, House of Representatives, and looking at, you know, how things are going to be here in Texas, I think that the message is being sent. Grassroots uh, are important, and, you know, organizations like Texas Homeschool Coalition, Texas for Fiscal Responsibility, uh, you better listen to what they're telling because uh, they are mobilizing voters and getting information out. And, uh, you know, Texas is, Texas is definitely moving more towards uh, a liberty, you know, friendly, conservative ideology. So... Yeah, I think I think one of the most interesting things is how drastically we did move to more conservative and liberty principles uh, with this election. We picked up, uh, you know, Rodney Anderson's back in the House replacing uh, Linda Harper Brown, um, Matt Rinaldi replacing Bennett Ratliff, Don Huffines, who I love, Don Huffines uh, replacing Corona, and of course. Connie Burton replacing Wendy Davis, by far the biggest shift in Texas politics. And, of course, even at the state level, uh, I think Ken Paxson's a bit more conservative than, than, than General Abbott, and I definitely think that most people would say that Patrick is more conservative than, than Dewhurst. So we've, uh, we've seen some massive shifts, whether you, you like them or not, but with, within the voters and these huge margins. So I, I, what's going to be interesting to me is where do we go from here? What do you guys see happening next legislative session? Is there something specific? Like what's the one thing you would like to see uh, happen with all of these new representative Senate and all these new statewides? Carrie, let's start with you. Carrie, you there? Carrie. I think we might have lost Carrie. Okay, Carrie, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, there okay. she is. Jeremy can go ahead and go. Um, let me think. Um, All right, Jeremy, let's, let's go to you then so she can bank. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, naturally there are several things that I would say we want to get done during the session. If I had to pick one thing that I think is going to kind of define this next session, I really think the speaker's race is probably going to be one of the biggest things to come out of this next session. Um, and if you want to count the, the likely special session, you know, education funding is probably going to come up. But 
I think from a conservative perspective, there are a lot of people um, in different organizations and at the grassroots who are looking for, you know, who are looking to, at the race for a speaker, which is, you know, Joe Strauss and Scott Turner. Um, and I think that a lot of them are going to make that a, a, some of them I think are willing to make it a single issue particularly for the next campaign cycle. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be determining to a degree who they vote for based off of who, which speaker they support. And I think that's a trend um, that a lot of people are seeing because, you know, the, the House is trending more conservative. And, uh, you know, that's something that a lot of people are wanting to see replicated all the way up the line there. So I really think that's probably going to be the biggest thing that we're going to see this coming session um, is the outcome of that race. And, and I would actually agree with you uh, definitely there. And I think, uh, I think every episode I've had a reason to tell people, call your representative. Tell them to, that you want them to support a not only conservative, because I, I, I actually don't think that the ideology of the speaker is that important. What I do think is important is, is he fair? Is he going to listen? Is he, yeah. Yeah, is, is he going to listen? Is he going to allow not, not only the moderate Republicans? So, so Speaker Strauss, for most of the conservative Republicans that I speak to, what happens is he's, he'll listen to the moderate Republicans, he'll listen to the Democrats, but if you're a conservative Republican, you're on the outs. And I think the Democrats need to be listened to. I think the moderates need to be listened to. And I think the conservatives need to be listened to. And we need a speaker that doesn't hold grudges. And I think that's why Scott Turner is going to be a great choice for speaker. Because he'll actually be all three. Yeah, yeah. What's going to be interesting um, is, you know, with all of the new conservative state reps that we're going to have on this coming session, which is, you know, a dozen or so, um, depending on how you slice it, um, I think that they potentially are going to have a pretty big voting block because they're also going to be able to potentially turn people who were on the fence before. So I think it's going to depend a whole lot on whether or not they all stick together. If they do, I think they'll be able to get a lot more done. Because with the Senate so conservative, that's where everything is going to be stopped up. And, you know, uh, Jason Villalba, a lot of people know, um, he kind of stated publicly that the House's goal this coming session was going to be to stop all the conservative legislation coming out of the Senate. So... It's going to be really interesting to see what those, so the group of freshman conservatives and some of the, especially some of the conservatives who were freshmen last session, are going to do about that because I think they have a chance to stand out here. All right, and Jeremy, I'm going to hold you accountable on that. I want you to get me um, where you got that quote from, and I'll post the link to it. Um, I'm very cautious because I don't because if we're if we're going to call somebody up for saying something, I want to I want to get a little bit of. I want somebody. I want some cooperation on it. Okay? Do you mind sending that over? Trying to find it? No problem at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's something I read off the Empower Texans website, so I'll I'll get that over to you. Great. I'm sure, and they do. uh, Whether you like them or not, they do a good job of quoting uh, pretty directly and and being. um, They're not. (laughs) They're not big fans of Jason Vialba. I'll put it that way. Uh, (laughs) Carrie, you ready? Carrie. Yes, I'm fine. I've been putting my okay. I'm putting my phone on mute so you can't hear anything. Um, All right. I, I, one of the big things I know last time when the session was with within college Republicans was the campus carry. Um, I know a lot of people have stated that they would like to have some form of campus carry on campus, especially being in Texas, being possibly a you know a gun friendly zone, you know. 
we would like to be able to carry, you know, if we have our concealed handgun license, to have it in our stuff on um, on campus. Um, something I have been heard that uh, that's going to be tried to be discussed and maybe fixed, maybe um, in this legislation, is the part of free um, free speech zones on campus. Um, I know at UNT we have a problem with this, and I know in certain other campuses where you know, a certain area on campus is labeled a free speech zone, but yet it's not a free speech zone. And um, there is there is a law or something that protects us, but we are not actually able to have that. So um, an example of this is at the at University of North Texas, Winnie Davis came and spoke. And we asked the college Republicans and Eagles for Life and a couple other people, we came out and we were going to protest it. We did not, and, um, and then we were in the free speech zone, so we didn't have to get um, authorization from the school to do this. But we were escorted away to another area by campus police. I know that will be talked about. Um, I know some groups try. I know a group trying to get that passed. That I'm trying to point them into the right um, legislatures to get that passed. Um, I know that's just uh, kind of a one, and just I know a lot of them are just excited just to see what's going go on and what's going to happen, and whether or not you know there's a big push for. Um, I know college kids aren't really pushing for it, but, you know, school choice and just a lot of them are seeing how much are we going to get, you know, more Obamacare or what's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely think under the <laughs> – I, I can definitely pretty much guarantee under the new state leadership we will not be seeing the expansion of Medicare, Medicaid uh, in, the state of, in the state of Texas. So, I mean, that's definitely nice to see. Um, but I, I, I was shocked to hear that Texas, like I know like um, Berkeley and those liberal institutions have, have uh, banned free speech except to certain areas. And, uh, it, and it just shocks me that students who claim to be liberal, who seem, you would think, would want to be, um, who would want to, to be real promoters of free speech, do not stand up and just and, and riot almost uh, just protest that that they would dare take away their right to free speech and limit them in such a way it's absolutely astounding um, mm-hmm. especially from especially from people that claim to to be such supporters of of creativity and openness and yet every time you turn around a liberal is trying to to stop what you can say and where you can say it whether it's on a college campus or in front of an abortion clinic. Correct. Um, and Andrew, I know you're going to agree with Jeremy on the speaker's race, but uh, besides that, I'm going to take that well, away I from mean, you. What would you say? <laughs> I mean, I think, there's, I think we're going to be, it's going to be interesting because what, uh, personally, as someone that's a liberty-leaning conservative, I, I'm going to be interested in seeing how how liberty-friendly our, uh, our, our legislature is going to be because the reality is is that even though we live in the great state of Texas, every legislative session we become more and more big government. We become more and more, uh, you know, uh, involved in the free market. Even though we claim to be such this, this this bastion. I mean, last legislative session we licensed interior designers. 
Um, and so I, what I'm really wanting to see is, is how we handle a lot of that. I think I'm totally I, – I, I really think that it will be interesting to see how, for example, things like the radical open carry, um, if that, that, you know, Abbott says he will sign that into law, uh, if that gets to his desk, you know, the question is, well, yeah. will it make it through the legislature? Um, and I think what's also going to be interesting but is more that importantly, how will it rumored make that uh, – yeah, and I think it's also been rumored that, you know, that some of the, the well, you know, known House moderates, uh, even, even arguably the most powerful chairman in the, the state legislature, Todd Hunter, will be working with libertarians on some bills now, whether that's medical marijuana, whether that's, you know, whatever that is. Um, so it, I think it'll be interesting to see if we see a shift in the more moderate Republicans in the state house to more conservative, uh, you know, le, you know, legislative, you know, stuff to see if, you know, to try and coax that conservative vote to say, hey, no, we are conservative, um, to try and keep, you know, from them getting primary. So I think that'll be something interesting to watch, uh, you know, in the legislature to see where do the moderates fall that aren't quite set in, in their ways. You know, are they going to go more conservative? Are they going to go more liberal? Uh, I think that'll be the, the interesting thing to watch, uh, you know, and if not, you know, the speaker's race for sure. That'll be, that'll, that'll dictate a lot. Um, but... And let's just go into um, let's go into our last segment. What did the Republicans do wrong? What can we fix, and how can we get better um, next session? Uh, Carrie, specifically, I want to start with you because I want you to talk about reaching out to young people. Because, uh, like we mentioned earlier, George P. did a great job of this. I think he was really the only one besides. I, you know, don't I don't have a lot of love for Cornyn. I think he's he's not he's not as conservative as I would like to see. But he again, this is an area where he has really reached out and supported young Republicans. So what about uh, what do you see happening? What can what did we do wrong? What can we do better? Um, yeah, talking about Cornyn. Cornyn does like the college Republicans, and he likes young Republicans, and he does help us out. Um, another one that. Um, he has told me personally anything that the college Republicans need, any kind of help or whatever is uh, Glenn Hager, our next comptroller. And um, he, he, cause he is, he is fairly young and, you know, he wants to see college and young Republicans do things. Um, I think he wants us to be given the opportunity. He's spoken at both my state fall conference and last year's state convention, but something I would really like to see in what, you know, what college Republicans are, you know, they come and the the state reps and state legis you know the, the people we politicians we we elect them and we like them but they come and they speak and then they leave you know we we would like to you know get to know them and you know and do things and they need to get active with the college and the young republicans and and to do that that that's mm-hmm. one thing that i hear all the time is you know i would like to go do this thing with this state rep, but, or why doesn't they um, do things, you know, to associate more with the college Republicans? And I'm like, that's a good question. Um, that's something that I would like to work, you know, maybe with the SREC and maybe they could help us get, you know, the word out that, hey, you know, you guys need to be, you know, getting more and more active with the um, college, college Republicans. Um, we're having a fundraiser coming up in December, and Jonathan, uh, State Rep. Jonathan Sticklin is really wanting to get involved. And, you know, I'm trying to call some of the other state reps and say, hey, you guys need to get involved with this. This is 
um, Rick Perry has said it to us, and he says, we are not the future of the party, we are the party, and I think it's time that people actually see that and not tell us to sit down and shut up and wait our turns on things, but to encourage and to support us. Yep. And uh, I know, I don't know if you've entered in all of your hours, both Carrie and I live in Denton County, and we've been, uh, so we've gotten to work together quite a bit, and uh, she's fantastic, Um, but I think if we entered in all the hours that you have, um, I have around 500 just uh, hours volunteering for the the party. I, I have no idea what you might even have. You might even have more than me with all of your college Republican work, but... Um, I know I put probably more time into college Republicans than I do into my homework. <laughs> that, well, hopefully that's not too hard, but <laughs> depending on how bad your your load is. But um, let's go to to Jeremy. What what can what did you see that Republicans did wrong, and what can they fix for next time? What's what's your message to say? This is how you how we can. This is what we can learn from. I think while we're celebrating, you don't want to get too far out before you start self-examination. Yeah, and I actually think the biggest message that we're going to find is from the primary runoff, not really from the general election. I mean, we had our best results in the general, um, but I think we lost a lot of potential during the primary and the runoff that we did not need to lose. Um, I mean, if you look at the percentages, we have, I think it was about 4% of the, you know, the registered voters turned out in the Republican primary. And, I mean, that's, that's really abysmal. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say so. It, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, biggest, the biggest place we have to grow, I guess I would put it that way, is making people understand the importance of getting involved in the races before the general election. Because the reality is most of them, by the time you get to the general election, are already over. Right? A lot of people don't have challengers or they don't have serious challengers. In Texas, which is most, you know, mostly Republican, it's, it's the primaries and the runoffs where you are basically deciding who is going to be in office. And a lot of people just don't understand that. Um, so, I mean, if, if we had been more involved in the primary and the runoff, I believe we would have carried significantly more important races during the general election than we did this time, even hmm. though we still had a good election. All right, and let's go to Andrew. I would say that, you know, looking at the broad, and this is, this is going to be, you know, not touching whatever, you know, Terry and Jeremy have said, but I think looking at the Republican Party as a whole, and I think I really agree with what Ted Cruz said, I believe at CPAC, was that the two most inspiring people in the Republican Party were Ronald Reagan and Ron Paul. And I may have not agreed with Ron Paul on everything, but I think that what his point was, what it really comes down to, is that I, I think conservatives need to stop, for one, hating on young people. I think the problem is with the conservative party and with Republicans in general, they don't like the younger aspirations, mainly because, you know, what we see a lot with the younger people, and especially young conservatives, is a rise in libertarianism. And I really think that the Republican Party, if they really want to do what Ted Cruz is talking about, how do we, how do we take back, you know, uh, you know, the, the House, the Senate. I think that we need to embrace more Ronald Reagan conservatives. We need to embrace more Ron Paul conservatives. I think we need to look at, uh, you know, how, how can we embrace more liberty concepts? And I think that's what's ultimately going to win people over. Um, you know, Ron Paul blew up, you know, from being a no, nobody congressman from the South Houston area, you know, to having a national voice, whether you hated him or liked him. 
he definitely got a lot of attention of young people. And so I think the thing that the Republican Party really needs to do is reach out to young people. I know they're doing that with YRs. I know they're doing that with college Republicans. But I think the, the attitude that, you know, having worked on so many races locally with young people, you know, the attitude that old people have towards younger people running for offices is something that I don't think we need. I think we need to really encourage young people to come up. And I know experience is a good thing. I know that, you know, having, you know, having wisdom, those are all important. But we really don't want to declare war on young people. And I really think we need to really recruit younger people to, you know, to, to follow, in the, you know, follow, you know, follow the footsteps of, you know, people like Louis Gomer. And, you know, so that would be my thought is really not only on a national level, but on a local level, you know, emphasize getting young people, you know, out to vote, you know, and, and teaching them conservative values. Great. And just uh, any final thoughts uh, from the rest of you guys uh, as we close out here? I think I would really just encourage people to not assume that the fact that we had such success during the general election means that we aren't going to have a fight during the legislative session. Good message. Terry? I think. Andrew, let's go to you then while she gets off mute. I I think the biggest thing is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that you know voters need to realize is that while we may have won today, Battleground Texas may disappear for a couple of years, but they'll be back. Um, and I think we need to always be vigilant. We always need to be watching, um, and let's not get confident, and let's keep you know keep fighting the good fight. No, Terry. I was on the blaze on election night, so I was. I was last minute learning everything on, you know, uh, who won and how by how much. But what I, I asked Glenn a, a question. I said, you know, is you know, is Texas? I wanted to ask about Texas politics. I said everybody knows about battleground Texas. And I said with the winning of Greg Abbott and everything, I said is Texas still going to continue to be a red state, or is Texas going to become a new? a new battleground state and something that I've always believed is Texas will become a new battleground state I don't believe this is the end all for battleground I don't think that they're going away I think we might have hurt them for right now but I don't think that they'll be going away and it's something that we need to instill that the reason companies and corporations are moving to Texas is because we have conservative values and Republicans that are standing for you know pro-business principles and all this that are making the economy in Texas so much greater than elsewhere. We just need to make sure that we instill in these people that are coming in that, you know, you're leaving democratic and failed policies to come to policies that are working. And we just need to make sure that they understand. And we still need to continue to fight to keep Texas red, that the fight didn't end in this midterms by any stretch. If I could add one, one more thought in there. Um, actually very similar to what you were just talking about. I think that the sort of the big thing um, that a lot of people don't think about, I mean, I think it's really that I think the largest area for, um, for mistakes comes right after a big victory, right? Your greatest risk comes right after a big victory because that's where complacency sets in. And the reality is I don't think that our largest enemy is, you know, the, the Democrats or liberals or any social group necessarily. I think the largest enemy is our own complacency, because um, if, if we jump to the assumption that because we won, then we won't have to fight it again next time, then when Battleground Texas comes back, we won't be prepared for them, and we won't lose because 
they outmaneuvered us, they will lose, we'll lose because we weren't maneuvering at all. Right? And that's, that's how things tend to sway back and forth each way is because one group gains control and they lose control because they stop fighting. Great messages from all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, and for all of those of you listening, thanks so much for, for taking part and being part of this great victory in Texas. Please remember to go to uh, twistedconservative.com slash iTunes or twistedconservative.com slash slash Stitcher and subscribe, rate, and review uh, this podcast. Thanks for being a part of it. Share it with your friends right now. I'm number seven in the, uh, new and noteworthy. Let's go on. Uh, Steven Crowder is now podcasting. He is up to number three. And uh, let's go take the Canadian out. Great guy, but come on. I think Texas can beat Canada. Right, Andrew? <laughs> I, I, I'm wholeheartedly with you. All right. So tell all your friends, subscribe, rate, and review to Twisted Conservative. Let's continue to get a message of hope out there for all Texans of, and of uh, conservative values out there. Thanks so much for joining me, and hopefully we'll see you back next week. I will have John Sego of Texas Right to Life, I believe, and we'll be talking about the Brittany Maynard case. So uh, not quite as, as enthusiastic, but some really good information coming from John Sego. And uh, continue to tune in. Thanks again to my panel, and we'll see you soon.